Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Back in October 2013, we profiled Pam Pelton, a school teacher in Kentucky who, a year removed from total shoulder replacement, was still experiencing negative side effects, pain that kept her awake at night, and range of motion so limited that she couldn't raise her arm high enough to put things away in her cupboard or to give someone a hug. Someone suggested that she try dry needling treatment, and that led Pam to physical therapist Chad Garvey, who in a few short sessions was able to produce noticeable results. Pam's story shows the potential for dry needling treatment, but in this episode we welcome Chad Garvey back to Move Forward Radio to discuss dry needling more broadly. The following interview covers all the basic questions about dry needling, what it is, how long it lasts, what it feels like, how it works. As always, input from our guest is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with physical therapist Chad Garvey. Chad, you're a previous guest on Move Forward Radio with Pam Pelton, who's one of your patients. In that episode, we talked about Pam's specific experience with dry needling, and we had you back because we wanted to talk more broadly about dry needling. I suppose the first thing we should do is differentiate dry needling from acupuncture. So acupuncture is a distinct service provided by acupuncturists, and dry needling is an intervention used by physical therapists and other healthcare professionals that's based on modern scientific study and of both the musculoskeletal and the nervous system. That said, there are similarities, obviously, in that we're talking about needles being inserted into the skin. So with dry needling, first of all, just describe the needles for me. How similar are they to the needles that would be used in acupuncture? The needles that are utilized in dry needling are acupuncture needles. They are a sharp point. They are not a beveled edge similar to an injection needle, one that would be used by physicians to prescribe liquid into the tissue. So it's basically a solid filament. And the lengths vary, and they vary from 30 to 50 millimeters. But pretty much they're exactly the same needles that acupuncturists use, but we use them for a very different reason and by a different philosophy of care and a different school of thought. And so when we had Pam on the show, she'd had a total shoulder replacement, she'd had pain related to that, and dry needling turned out to be really effective. Let's maybe start with that specific case quickly. So when you're dealing with somebody like that and you're trying to address pain, you're trying to address range of motion, how do you figure out what you need to do and then what do you go about doing from in terms of a dry needling treatment? Well, the first thing we do, as we would do with any physical therapy intervention, we try to establish a diagnosis and try to figure out exactly what causes or what brings about her pain, and then also what functionally she has difficulty doing. So a physical therapy evaluation is done to kind of bring about that information and make it more clear as far as what areas she would be most likely to benefit from the needling. At that point, dry needling is suggested and then administered if the patient is is open to it. And then we go back and we utilize the same evaluation processes and the same basically measures of figuring out, okay, is it her range of motion that's restricted? Is it more about specific pain levels? And we'll remeasure those immediately after the treatment to determine the effect of the treatment, whether it was effective or whether it was ineffective and we need to change uh, treatment parameters or uh, areas. And so you talked about pain, you talked about range of motion. Are there certain symptoms that dry needling is better for than others or ideal for maybe? One of the things that has really caught on about dry needling is, is the treatment of chronic pain. 
Chronic pain is defined by pain that is unchanged over a period of three months or longer. That is when it becomes chronic. It kind of gained popularity with the treatment of those types of patients as far as changing their pain, what we call pain, how their brain sees their pain, and also changing the tissue, tissue health and tissue um, contractility. But there are many instances where dry needling can be equally as effective with more acute pain, pain that's gone on for four weeks or less to allow the muscular system to move in a more pain-free pattern and therefore get back to function much quicker. So I think being equally effective in both, but it tends to be utilized many times more as a chronic pain intervention, but acute pain is definitely coming along. So in the most basic terms, what's happening during a dry needling session? So let's say I have chronic pain. Let's say that's what you're going to treat me for. What is happening? How is that needle being inserted into the skin helping me deal with that pain? Pain occurs for a lot of reasons. You know, pain is, is brain-based. It's, it's based around how the brain sees the tissue, but also how the tissue communicates with the brain. To explain it simply to a patient, we're trying to reset the local system of the area in which you're having your pain. So we want to achieve a contraction of a specific muscle or group of muscles that are maybe contributing to your symptoms, to your painful area. When that reset happens, provides a window of opportunity for me as a physical therapist and you as the patient to move in a direction that was previously painful and actually affects the quality of the movement. So by resetting the system, we're improving not only tissue quality but also movement quality and brain health in the sense that the brain sees the muscle or the group of muscles as something that's safer to move and that should be ready to move and therefore decreasing pain perception and pain experience. I imagine it varies depending on what the condition is and the level of pain and the level of injury, all those things. But that reset that happens, is that temporary? Is that something that lasts for hours or is that something that a dry needling session could essentially eliminate pain for the course of a week or a month or longer? Yeah, I don't think we even have an answer to that. You know, as manual therapists or anybody who does dry needling, any manual therapy technique, whether it's a joint mobilization or soft tissue work or a dry needling or what have you, the general rule is we expect the reset to last anywhere from 2 to 24, even 48 hours. Now, is that to say that you don't have patients that have a much longer period of pain and reset? No, there are opportunities for that to happen, for the patient to experience that, but they could be moving after experiencing pain relief, they could be moving much different at home just on their own and therefore make that last for a much longer period of time. But from a manual therapy perspective, in theory, it pretty much lasts anywhere from 24 to 24 to 48 hours. And so during that time, we want to take advantage of that and re-educate your body and your brain on how to move. So in a sense, it sounds like the dry needling is the key that unlocks the patient to some degree. It's the thing that allows you to get beyond that initial barrier to then continue treatment in different ways or stop them from having a recurring issue that they just keep dealing with over and over again because the pain is limiting their motion. Is that an accurate description? Absolutely. I'll also use the analogy of kind of like a jump start. We're kind of jump-starting the system a little bit. And the one thing we do know about pain and movement is that pain changes movement, period. Regardless of whether it happens locally, pain in your ankle is going to change how you move potentially your back and vice versa. So as soon as we can get pain off the table, a lot of other really good things can happen from an exercise perspective in the patient. And, and that's what we really want to try and emphasize, that package of needling plus exercise and movement. So that's the thing, too. I mean, if you go to see a physical therapist for dry needling, it's likely that in addition to the dry needling session itself, there's probably going to be some other therapy involved beyond the dry needling. 
Absolutely. That should be the expectation. There's some sort of accompanying intervention. Now, that could be something as simple as education and advice on perhaps how to use, on the fact to, you know, don't be afraid to use the arm or the leg that's been treated or the area that's been treated, staying active. Something as simple as that could be given, but the patient should have some sort of take-home movement exercise advice to accompany what was done. It should never be something that's just a manual therapy procedure or a dry needling procedure and, and nothing else. Again, obviously, different injuries, different patients, different pain tolerance, but in general, is dry needling painful for the patient, or is it just all a matter of where the pain is and what the patient's pain level tolerance is? Well, we want to emphasize to the patient that we are treating the muscular system to affect the movement which may cause the pain or treat the pain which may affect the movement. So soreness, achiness is expected, and we liken it to if you were to go out and exercise for the first time in a long period of time, you're going to get soreness, achiness, that sort of thing. But that's a very common sort of thing and, and likely will get some discomfort during the treatment. Any sort of soft tissue treatment tends to be or can be a little bit uncomfortable. It should never be painful as in like, you know, I can't stand it and please don't do that. So we, we want to emphasize to the patient that they understand that this is an expectation. And that education on what to expect also gives the brain a better understanding of what to expect, too, which allows the brain to manage the pain even as well and probably even better than what they were if they were to do it on their own. And that's where, and to some degree, the expectation there would be the same as, say, massage. So if you have a sore calf muscle and you get a physical therapist to really provide some manual therapy on your calf muscle, you should expect it to be sore the next day, essentially for being worked over. So that's a similar comparison, right? Yes, that can even last. I've seen, you know, patients, like, you know, up to three to four days soreness and that sort of thing. And again, and I'll also educate the patient, it should feel like a different sort of soreness versus a recreation, like a worsening of the pain that you came in to get treated. It should feel, it should feel different and we want it to feel different. So again, how many needles typically are we talking about here? Let's say, let's keep with that calf example. Let's say I hurt my calf muscle, it's stiff, something along those lines. Are we talking, you're going to put one or two needles in my calf? You could put a dozen needles in my calf. What's most likely? It really depends on the training and the, and the theory. From a true dry needling perspective, say it's your first treatment and you haven't had it before, I'm probably only going to use one to two needles on you the first time because I can treat several different areas with one to two needles. And just the introduction of a new treatment modality, a new type of manual therapy, can cause a host of parasympathetic nervous system reactions that you may not have experienced. It's almost like a, I was talked about being like an intro session and kind of let your body and your brain get used to that. And then if we have a relative amount of success, then we can do upwards of four and, and six needles at a time. And sometimes we'll also, if you were talking about the spine and we're treating the thoracic spine, you can have upwards of 10 to 15 needles in at a time and also for a longer period of time, depending on how perhaps if you've had it for a longer period of time, we will likely leave them in there for a longer period of time to achieve a deeper and more profound effect. And let's put some rough numbers on that. So longer period of time in this case means what? Longer period of time within the session could be 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of just resting with the, the needles in the tissue. And the shortest amount of time somebody might have a needle would be seconds? Yes, second, yes. Specifically, I mean, it could be 5 to 10 seconds at, the, at its shortest. And then for a patient that's sitting there having these needles, will they likely feel something going on? In other words, will they feel a muscle release? Will they feel pain go away? Or will it just sort of be they go through the sensation and then later the range of motion is better or the pain is better? You can have both, and you will have both. I'll have patients who obviously we want to get, we get a measure of their pain, we get a measure of their motion, 
they likely don't feel the needle. Nine times out of ten, they don't feel the needle because the needle's so tiny. They don't feel it going in. They will feel the muscle engage. Tell them it's normal to have achiness or crampiness or muscle twitch. Muscle twitch is one of the goals that we try to strive for during the treatment. And if we don't see a change in the pain immediately, sometimes it takes 24 hours for them to go through their sleep cycle for them to see a significant change. So it can happen immediately or it can take a day or two. And that muscle twitch, what's happening when that's happening? We're getting basically a hard contraction of the muscle. Typically with unhealthy muscle tissue, they kind of rest at this halfway point between total relaxation and hard, hard contraction. And the health of a muscle is really its ability to go back and forth between relaxation and contraction. If you see track athletes, any athletes, the things that they're trying to do before they engage in hard and heavy gameplay or, or activity or competition, they're trying to relax, and, and that's what we really want. So by engaging or getting the muscle to fire at a high, high level of contractility, it allows it to immediately relax, and that's, and that's what we're trying to achieve, not only get it to fire but also get it to relax completely. Have you been surprised at the number of different conditions that dry needling has proven effective for? Yeah, I think so. I've been practicing for about 13 years now, and I'm, I consider myself a manual therapist and you know, trained to use my hands and have been able to get a lot of really nice results with techniques. And the evidence for those techniques that I learned initially is actually greater. So the evidence that's coming for dry needling is growing. But certainly I do have situations, and Pam is a great example, of someone who responded profoundly to the intervention. And so, yes, I do get pleasantly surprised as far as change within the session, but as the evidence comes along, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the evidence shows as being absolutely slam dunk. You need to do this. You need to treat this problem with dry needling as we move forward within research in our field. And how often are the patients pleasantly surprised? Quite a bit, actually. You know, it's in most people who have experience with needles is usually a bad one because of experiences as children with immunizations or what have. Some people are fine with it. Some people think it's just part of it, and some people have an aversion to it. But many times they're surprised on not only the fact that they don't feel it when it goes in, but also the change for the positive that they get after it's completed. Acupuncture has been around for hundreds of years. You mentioned that there still are areas where the evidence needs to get stronger related to dry needling, but is dry needling gaining in popularity? Oh, absolutely. In about in 2005, there were really less than 10 physical therapists that were doing dry needling in five states that allowed it. To right now, we have about 34 states that allow within the Practice Act and over 5,000 PTs that currently utilize this as part of their treatment. And that's obviously going to allow the evidence to come along quicker. Absolutely, and we want to follow the evidence from treatment, and that's one of the things we want to communicate to our patients is that we do things that are evidence-based. We don't want to say that the evidence is minimal for dry needling, but certainly if it's growing, which it is, that's one of the reasons that made me actually seek out the training was the fact that the evidence base was growing for it and was moving in a positive direction, and whenever you see that sort of trend, it behooves you as a uh, practitioner to incorporate it into your treatment paradigm. So I have two final questions then based on patients who might wonder if dry needling is right for them. You mentioned earlier that it, it seems to cover a variety of symptoms and conditions, but in general, is there any sort of scenario where you might think somebody should think about dry needling? So let's say they are that chronic pain person, or let's say they've tried and failed with other treatments. Sure. I think a couple of diagnostic scenarios. One is where the patient is having a muscular-type pain for a longer period of time that does not change with massage or does not change with some sort of soft tissue work, or if it does, it changes minimally. So any sort of really muscular type of pain, the pain that you can kind of point at, as well as there have been some theories that 
talk about change within someone who were to have a nerve root problem, what we call a radiculopathy, where it's pain coming from the spine down into the limb that continues to be symptomatic despite not responding to more traditional and more evidence-based treatments, that they're still having pain in the limb. Dry needling theoretically has been shown to that can affect that, that pain within the limb, especially if it's been going on for a longer period of time. So really the, the big things are the chronic types of patients, the ones that haven't responded to other types of treatments and things that are done more commonly is the, are the, the patients that I would say specifically, yeah, let's, let's give it a try. And so then likewise, if somebody wants to have dry needling, they're thinking about going into it, is there anything they should know, anything they should prepare for? Certainly, I think being open about your medical history, the person who's administering it needs to take a full medical history because the contraindications specifically for dry needling are things such as pregnancy. Uh, We don't do it on pregnant females, especially within the first trimester. We're very cautious about doing it on folks who are under, you know, anticoagulant therapy or, you know, clotting, have clotting disorders, as well as don't do it post-surgically, at least early on. So someone who's had surgery, we won't do it within the first six weeks and certainly within the first three months of the area that they've had surgery on. So Pam, for example, had her total shoulder, but it had been a year since she had had surgery, so she was safe. But if she were to come see me two months out of surgery, I would not have introduced dry needling for another month until at least in her shoulder area because we don't want to interfere with the healing process of the uh, of the surgery itself. So Pam was a special case, and uh, people can go listen to that episode, but she described how she had pretty immediate relief and improved range of motion. What's the emotional impact for you um, as a physical therapist when you see from what essentially is a, a sophisticated technique but also somewhat a simple technique to see such a profound result? Oh, it's, I, I think it's the same sort of feeling that you get with you have any patient that has these dramatic changes in function or pain as well as just perspective on the fact and, and establishing that there is hope for change and it gives you a great deal of satisfaction that you're able to, to participate and, and kind of remove that barrier to allow her to do more within her life. And so it's very, very satisfying. And again, it just makes, you know, makes coming to work uh, that much better and easier and, uh, and more fun. We often talk about patients putting limits on themselves in terms of what they think they can or can't do. But driving in a sense, when you talk about that restart, you're also talking about this sort of beyond conscious level of what the brain is telling the body it can't do, because that's kind of what pain is, correct? So dry needling is a way to sort of get at what the patient themselves can't overcome. They want to try to push through it, but the brain's telling them no. Effectively, that's kind of the beauty of dry needling, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Pain is a warning light. Pain is something that needs to be paid attention to and addressed in some form or fashion. But when you have pain for a longer period of time, and there are you know pain experts out there that have forgotten way more than I know about this, but what we do know is that you know pain changes movement, and pain's accuracy of telling of, of representing what's going on within the tissue diminishes dramatically after about three months. So when you have pain for longer than three months, that pain does not represent what's going on with the tissue near as well as say two weeks out. So yes, it's providing that restart. It's providing that that opportunity to to move. And I think within the medical field, I think we say this across disciplines, we tend to spend more time telling a patient what they should not do. And I think as physical therapists, we do and we continue to need to do more with empowering patients and letting them know what they're able to do, what they can do, and focus on the more positive types of things. And, And needling is one of those things that allows you to do that faster and easier and and more more profoundly. Chad Garvey, thank you very much. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to our show. You can find other episodes of Move Forward Radio, including the story of Pam Pelton's experience with dry needling, at MoveForwardPT.com and on iTunes. If you like this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and rating our podcast on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.